0: Okay, so we are continue to go through the Gospel of Luke um, and we're in Luke 16 and uh, we just did the parable of the prodigal son and uh, well at least last time I preached that's what we did. I'm following my, my, my trajectory here and then um, this is the the parable of the wise manager which follows uh, directly on it. Uh, I did have two thoughts that are unrelated, er, not, not wholly unrelated, but somewhat unrelated to the passage just that was sort of percolating within me. You know how it is when you get away and you, you go Somewhere for a week or whatever, and you get some perspective on your life and some perspective on your church life, and uh, things kind of uh, bubble up, as it were. And so I had a couple of these random thoughts that I wanted to share with you guys because I felt like it was from the Lord. Uh, so maybe "random" is not the right word. Uh, uh, um, Holy Spirit-inspired thoughts, I would hope. Um, and, and one of them was just, uh, you know, it's it's the whole if you're, if you're swimming in the water thing, you don't recognize the water, and. Uh, so one of it was just the, the nature of how how radical a life it is to follow Christ how necessarily radical it is in order to follow that there is no moderate following of Christ or some sort of following of Christ it's really an all-or-nothing sort of thing such that if it does become in your life sort of a moderate sort of following Christ sort of thing that it's not really following Christ it's something else entirely um, and you know y- as a pastor and especially maybe for some of you too as Christians you say things often enough that they just become rote you know they become good theology but they don't necessarily hit you you know across the face the way they ought to and that really hit me and you know and I I think of people in my life whom I've known uh, you know over the years who have uh, for one reason or another drifted away uh, from following Christ and often you know what I see is the the de-radicalization of the faith first in other words it just becomes something sort of normative and everyday and, and not very exciting and um, just kind of a part of your day-to-day life I- in a way that's not good. Uh, you know, obviously <laughs> Christ is a part of our day-to-day life, but and that, and I I sense that within me too, the normalization of my faith, and uh, God was speaking to me to, in certain individual ways that, you know, are not, not your ways, but you know things that God had, messages that God had for me about, you know, don't let your faith become middle-classed <laughs> or norm- normalized. And uh, and so I, I just wanted to share that with you, uh, to, to consider that and think about that, to, to not let it. Uh, if you feel like your faith is ebbing away, or you feel like you're becoming just sort of, uh, it just feels sort of uh, not very exciting, follow God more radically. Uh, do something crazy for God. Because that, I mean, truly, that's what his, his scripture promises us, that when you give wholly of yourself and your mind and your soul and your your goods to Christ what will come back is 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 a radical fa- a deep and abiding faith um, it's when we uh, don't you know so in that sense I guess I'm saying put God to the test in, in this specific area you know uh, if you feel like your faith is ebbing away you know minute by minute year by year uh, then follow more radically you know don't expect God to just bat the upside the head and say, you know, become a stronger Christian. Um, we have free will and and, it, and we can utilize it. So that was the first thing. And the uh, the second thing that I thought, and it was related to this, and just how easy it is for me, and uh, dare I say for us, uh, maybe you personally don't struggle with this, but for us as a community, and for me, how easy it is to get away from uh, a holistic and, and encompassing sense of gratitude in our lives. Just gratitude, uh, Just for the everyday things, and I was thinking about this when we were driving. um, I was driving; Laura was sleeping, which is what she does when I drive. um, And uh, kids were uh, watching videos. I'm ashamed to say that, but on the long drives, we just turn on the videos. Uh, We're we're not we're not uh, amazing parents that way. We don't come up with creative games. We just play, (laughs) be quiet. Um, So anyway, time to think and. Well, I was just thinking, you know, just little things in my life. It's a miracle to me. It, it, it still astonishes me when I pause to reflect on it. It still astonishes me that I have this thing, uh, this this vehicle, this this minivan, that can transport hundreds of pounds worth of items, hundreds of miles. Uh, and when it gets hot, it blows cold air on me. And when it gets cold, it blows hot air on me. And it can play a, a, a radio or CD or whatever. I mean, it can entertain me whilst doing this. And it. It, it just, I mean, it's astounding to me that I can, you know, me, just uh, c- have this vehicle that I can do these things with, and to live in such luxury that would have been undreamed of a hundred years ago, much less a thousand years ago. I mean, you know, it's just, it's astounding to me the level of comfort that I have in my life that I take for granted every day. You know, when people don't see me driving in my, you know, my beat-up old Ford minivan and say, phew, sweet ride, you know, that's... <laughs> That guy's. Oh man, look at him. That's uh, that's a. But they should. I mean, it is a sweet ride, and and uh, I don't know why more people aren't jealous of me. Um, and you know, in all seriousness, there are places in the world I could take that minivan, and people would say, "Sweet ride," and they'd be right. You know, and so i i But I take it for granted. Now, I even see you know I see the new Honda Odysseys driving down the interstate. I'm like, oh man, I wish I had that van. Why? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, just because it's a newer van, it looks nicer and it probably has built-in GPS. I would like built-in GPS. Is it too much, Lord, to ask? <laughs> but h- see how easy it is for me to become ungrateful. I mean, just, and, and that really struck me time and again. And just the notion of having a vacation, going up to Michigan, having the means to do that uh, and, and to, uh, to play on the beach. Um, I mostly sit on the beach, to watch my kids play on the beach while I sit and read. I'm not very excited to go on vacation with, is my point. Uh, but, <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it, all these things. And I just thought, I wanted to share that with you because it, it struck me really hard on this trip that, you know, I, I just, I'm very spoiled, <laughs> is what it amounts to. And I don't realize it most of the time. And I need to realize it more, just to, so I can be grateful. Not, so, uh, not to feel guilty about these things or to feel terrible about it, but to, be, to, to live a life of, of daily gratitude that I have these things. Um, and um, that was it. It really wasn't related <laughs> to the, the passage that we're going to talk about. Um, although there is some relation, but uh, I'm not going to try and tie it in directly. So let's, we'll read the whole story uh, together, uh, this parable, and then uh, uh, dive in here. So, so he, he's been uh, talking to, his, to the Pharisees in, in a group, but then there's, in, there's this image. He sort of shifts to his disciples. You know, Jesus turns to his disciples and tells this parable. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions so he called him in and asked him what is this I hear about you give an account of your management because you can't be manager any longer so he's getting fired basically and the manager uh, said to himself what shall I do now and, and by the way the, the manager um, chances are he, he's probably a, in this culture a, a manager of a household uh, the manager of a rich man's household is usually a slave not always but more often than not they're usually a slave uh, um, so anyway so he says what shall I do now my master is taking away my job I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here people will welcome me into their houses. Let's go to the next one. So he called on each one of his master's debtors and he said how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil he replied. Now that's just an insane amount of olive oil. It, it is today still an insane amount of olive oil. Back then it just this is like the Bill Gates of olive oil. Okay. <laughs> uh, and the manager told him, "Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450." And he asked the second, "How much do you owe?" "A thousand bushels of wheat," he replied. He told, and again, just a huge amount of food. He told him, "Take your bill and make it 800." Let's keep going. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted. Oh, I meant to change that in the PowerPoint. That says shrewdly. I really don't like that translation. The, the word is just wisely, uh, insightfully, or wisely. I'm not sure why this translation uses uh, shrewdly in in English that has sort of a connotation of sort of, I don't know, double-mindedness. But it it just doesn't in the Greek. It's just wisely. Um, So there you have it. Uh, uh, The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted wisely. For the people of this world are more wise, that's the same word, in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth and that's literally unrighteous mammon unrighteous goods unrighteous stuff uh, to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone or when it fails might be a better translation you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings and I guess we'll go ahead and and read the the next part too so that's the end of the the parable and then there's this uh, 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 teaching here whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth who will trust you with true riches and if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property who will give you property of your own so that's, that's uh, the whole parable um, oh right and then sorry I've, no one can serve two masters either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other you can't serve both God and money The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, "You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight." So that's you know the the last uh, four paragraphs are sort of the the uh, drawing out the heart of 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 what's in that parable. But let's go back to the beginning uh, of the parable there. So I, I want to remind us all, uh, real quick, of where this all started. Uh, where this, uh, you know, we've we've had um, we've had the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, we've had the parable of the lost coin. Remember the woman who uh, who finds the coin and rejoices, calls her friends together to rejoice. Uh, we've had the parable of the lost son, better known as the parable of the prodigal son, and then today's parable, uh, the parable of the wise manager, uh, as I'm referring to this one. And it and it goes on uh, this this set of teachings, and it will conclude with uh, the rich man and Lazarus. That's the final uh, parable story told, which uh, for me is one of the more striking and challenging, uh, challenging scriptures in, in the entire New Testament. So, but all of this started with one uh, simple event. All, all these parables, this eloquence of Christ, uh, was started when he got angry, he got really pissed at the Pharisees. And in and, and Luke, beginning of ch- uh, chapter 15 in Luke, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, uh, muttered presumably loudly at Jesus, "This man welcomes sinners and eats and and eats with them." I was going to say and eats them, but he didn't eat them. Uh, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So th- all of this stems from that that brief sentence that the Pharisees were angry and they were mad because the wrong people were gathering around Jesus, the tax collectors and the sinners. And as I said before, the sinners could be, you know, it could be uh, prostitutes it could, or, or just uh, people who have no interest in following the law, people who have given up on God, uh, uh, people who cheat uh, or steal, robbers, brigands. Uh, sinners is a wide variety of folks. So that, that's what got Jesus uh, going here. And this parable falls right in line with that that sense of, of anger and dismay that Jesus has, that the Pharisees are angry at him for ministering to these people, people such as these. And they were also angry because the healing and the forgiveness and the love that was present in Jesus' ministry, the, uh, the, the, the sort of celebratory atmosphere, was offensive to them. That they felt like these people... If anything, these people should be repenting in sackcloth and ashes and mourning their lives, not celebrating uh, their forgiveness and their healings. It was offensive to them. The Pharisees believed if anyone should be celebrating, it ought to be them because they are the ones who are right with God, not all these sinners. So, for us, the, the message there right from the outset, from the beginning as a community, as Christians, we have to be extremely leery of and sensitive to any moralism. In our congregation and in our theology, such that when people come uh, to to Christ or people come to our community, uh, you know, weighed down in their sins, caught up in awful situations—I mean, you know, wherever it may be—you know, our first instinct is hallelujah. This is a place of joy and celebration, and this is this is the place, the only place where you can lay down those burdens, and that Christ will take you. Uh, day by day, year by year, into a, into a better space, into a better. Heal- I don't mean this is the only space, like Cornerstone Fellowship. I mean the church uh, a- as a whole. We're not a cult. We're not a cult. <laughs> uh, we mean the body of Christ as a whole. That this is the place uh, to bring uh, those those needs and that that your sins. And the two primary themes of all these parables and stories, and I I, I can't take the time right now to go through all, but the two primary themes of all of them taken together is, one, the desire of God to be with his, his creation, the des- desire of God to be with you, the desire of God to be with you intimately. I mean, that's, that's the, the climactic scene of the parable of the prodigal son, of, of uh, the father running uh, to, the, to the son you know, with, with, with great joy. Uh, so, uh, throughout, in and, and this uh, parable as well, we'll get to that, you know, the, the theme of God wanting to be with us. He's not pushing us away. He's not keeping us at arm's length. He's trying desperately to envelope us in his love and in his grace, and for us to know that love and to know that grace. And the second theme um, of, of these parables is the damning nature and the damning power, uh, or excuse me, the damning nature of power and wealth, wealth being a form of power, the damning nature of power and wealth in this world, or I should say more accurately, the potentially damning nature of power and wealth in this world. And of course, those two go together because anything that keeps c- us from God, He's going to push against because He wants to be with us. So, and I, I mentioned this uh, this is probably a few months ago now, but I just want to reiterate too, is with regard to the Pharisees. With regard to the Pharisees, there, you know, it's not an exact parallel. There are many, many differences. In particular, the legalism uh, of the Pharisees that we don't that really isn't our issue. There, th- so that we're not exactly like the Pharisees, but there are many aspects of the Pharisees that we do hold in common with them and so we we, it's helpful to think of that when we're reading uh, passages like this that are directed at the Pharisees that we think that is partially at least us that is in part us who were the Pharisees well the Pharisees were the religious educated wealthy people of their time the religious educated wealthy people of their time that's who they were Um, so I hope that that should make it clear that we many of us share stuff in common with these folks. We live in a community that is centered around education. I mean, quite literally there's a huge university right at the center of our community uh, that, I mean, you can't throw a rock without hitting someone who's going through a PhD program here. I could throw a rock right now and hit a few people. (laughs) Uh, There's an immense amount of education in this community such that people who aren't even quote-unquote, you know, educated to that degree don't have masters or PhDs just by osmosis kind of take it in, you know. Um, wealth. Well, we live in America, so we'll start there. One of the, not one of the the wealthiest country in the world, and so uh, even if you find yourself on the lower tiers of, of the of the wealth ladder here in America, you're you're not doing so badly. Um, I think technically Laura and I just popped up above the poverty level here mm-hmm. here in Illinois, which cracks me up. Uh, again, to go back to my van spiel, I think that's hilarious that I'm impoverished. Um, can't you tell? Um, I mean, well, that's uh, not too bad an outfit, I hope, but... Um, <laughs> anyway, it, we live in such a wealthy country that uh, we don't, some, like I said earlier, sometimes we're not even aware of the wealth that surrounds us. Uh, which isn't to say that we don't have people who are impoverished in this country, or even our community. Uh, we certainly do, um, but nonetheless, that's the, the, that's the water we're swimming in. Um, that's, that's where we're at. Uh, religious. Well, we're in church, so I hope I don't have to make the case. Uh, we are and America too is by and large uh, I believe the most religious uh, country of all all, uh, the first world nations. Um, So that it's you know a a large part of of, of what constitutes a Pharisee at that time would constitute us or at least to be familiar with it by virtue of the culture that we live in. Okay so um, he addresses his disciples. He he doesn't address the Pharisees directly, although they overhear him. It becomes clear that they're over they're listening to this conversation. So why is he addressing his disciples directly and not the Pharisees? He shifts from the Pharisees to his disciples. Well, I think I, I don't know for sure, but I think in part because the Pharisees aren't here yet. They're not at the very beginning of this parable. Uh, the manager is not questioning whether or not he's wasted. Uh, you know, the rich man is is God. The rich man is is the Lord. Um, uh, and, and the, the manager is not questioning whether or not he's wasting his lord's possessions. He says, "I'm going to get fired." You know, basically, he's agreeing that I, I've done—I have not uh, managed my, my master's wealth well. Um, so right from the beginning, there's, there's a sense of repentance here that is not the Pharisees don't have. Remember, at the end of the prodigal son, there was a question or an inferred question whether or not you, they were going to judge the younger son and say, "Well, I'm gonna have no part. I'm not going to go into the party. I'm not going to go into the house." Whether they were gonna, uh, or whether they're gonna or whether they're gonna repent and go inside. Um, I don't want to go back into all that, but basically that's where the that's where they're at. Jesus is saying, you you haven't even made a decision yet. Well the manager has made a decision or has accepted, I guess would say, accepted the judgment that's coming. You know, that I've I've wasted uh, my his possess- my master's possessions and uh, you know I'm getting what's coming to me. That, that's a sense of repentance. Now, uh, there's a sense of, uh, also echoes, rather, of Genesis 1 and 2 here, uh, because our mandate here on earth, or, or let me ask, you know, from began beginning of Genesis, what is our mandate here on earth? What, what are we here to do? What, what are we doing here? What? Reflect God's glory. What's that? Reflect God's glory. Re- okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, reflect God's glory, but like, uh, yeah, stewards. Uh, yeah, and that's part of how yeah, how we reflect God, uh, how we reflect God by being stewards we're stewards of God's creation. So this, this uh, manager, some translations in your Bibles uh, will, will say steward actually. It's a similar word like a, a man, one who manages things or takes care of things is a steward and in Genesis uh, 2 I believe we're told that we are stewards of the earth. We, that is what we are doing here. We're to be stewards not only of the earth but of each other. And In fact that's the story of Adam and Eve is that we're not only caring for the earth but we're caring for each other, that we're all flesh of our flesh, that you're flesh of my flesh, and I'm flesh of your flesh, and we are built of dust and spirit and each other's flesh, and so we steward each other, and we steward the earth, and so this is a, a steward, uh, you know, made in God's image, reflecting God's glory, who has not stewarded well. He has uh, failed in this, and has wasted uh, his, his uh, and that, the tie-in to the parable of the prodigal son, that term, that Greek word for wasted, is the exact same word for the prodigal son where he wasted his father's possessions. It's the same word, same concept, just basically uh, take everything you have and just blow it all to heck. So, uh, here's a steward. He's, he's been a bad steward. And uh, he, he was uh, given a lot of gifts from, from his master and has failed in that role. You also have been given a lot of gifts from God. Material and spiritual. This is, I mean, this is a parable, of course, it does involve money. In fact, Jesus hits the point of money very hard at the end of the parable, but there's a spiritual aspect of this as well. You have been given a lot of gifts, period. Uh, there's no caveats. Or a, As a human being born in God's image, you have a lot of gifts to give, one way or the other. Um, everybody does. Um, that was one of the primary themes. Uh, one. Of, I shouldn't say primary. One of the things I learned deeply uh, when, I, when I worked briefly at L'Arche, and my wife uh, worked at L'Arche for three years in Seattle, um, Larsh being a home for people with disabilities, uh, people who the world would want to say, these people have no gifts to offer. I mean, they, you know, that for whatever reason they can't hold a quote-unquote normal job or uh, you know, don't have the IQ of, of other folks or what have you. Um, and I, I went from thinking it's it's probably true theologically or, uh, you know, I, it became a truth to me in my heart that everybody actually has gifts to bless other people with. Um, that are hard to sometimes, you know, uh, describe verbally, you know, hard to, hard to verbalize, but are very true and very powerful, and uh, no matter the extent of your disability. And so that, to me, this, that's, a, that's a, an important point to hit hard, that everybody has gifts. God has give, put you on this earth, you know, for a purpose, and you have the requisite gifts to fulfill that, that purpose. But you have gifts, extensive ones and I can say with equal assurance that you have managed them poorly. No one's shaking their heads, okay, all right. You have not always managed them well, is a nicer way to say it, but I think it's fair to say you have managed them poorly. I think as human beings sometimes we manage our gifts well. I think as human beings sometimes we manage our gifts well and generally we do a poor job of it. We either don't do what we should or we don't do anything or we, I mean, et cetera, et cetera. Or we do something uh, that actually is quite evil at times. Uh, so that that's, and we all do that communally together. That's the full compass of our sin, and we create hells on earth uh, internally, externally. Uh, we do the best that we can. You all are managing your gifts poorly. Here, the, here's the good news. <laughs> you are all poor managers. Um, and if you think about it, uh, you know, right now uh, politics, of course, is in everybody's blood and on everybody's lips, uh, as we politics is nothing more than, than, than the, the mitigation of the fact that we all manage our gifts poorly. That's all it is. It, politics is just sin management. Because we all mess each other up badly, and so the only question is, how can we manage e- mess each other up the least amount, but through virtue of a certain form of ruling or a certain kind of economics? That's all it is. It's just sin management. If we treated each other and used our gifts the way God intended, if we were, if we were that good, we wouldn't need politics. We wouldn't need people telling us how amazing they are because they're gonna fix everything. You know, they won't, but um, actually, I would vote for the one person who get up there and be like, I don't know how to fix anything. I, you know, <laughs> Terrorism, the economy, health care, I, I don't have a clue. I'm just gonna go and hire some experts and hope that I get it right. I would vote for that person. I, I don't care who it is, I would vote for him. <laughs> I'm so tired of... I don't know. Okay, uh, that's a uh, uh, distraction there. Okay anyway politics sin, mitigation and we're all involved in it so if you personally believe that you stand outside that sin that you're not this manager who's wasted his that if you know if you were in charge if you could be the next president or what have you a dictator that you would make things better if you personally believe that uh, then it's a good day to become a Christian and realize that no you're just as broken you can go with the best of intentions but you're broken and you're flawed and you're finite and, and you're, 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 you could easily be the world's worst dictator. Now the Pharisees, th- the core of their sin, the core of the Pharisaic sin, uh, is that they really believed, they truly and genuinely believed, that because of how, how tightly they followed God's law, or even the laws that God didn't give them, but ones that they had created, by how deeply they adhered to it, that they were better than other people. That's, that, was a core, that was the core sin of the Pharisees, that they were better than most people by virtue of their holiness and by virtue of living uh, lives that followed the, lo- the law. Uh, to quote a prophet from our, our day and age, think you're really righteous, think you're pure in heart. Well, I know that I'm a million times as humble as thou art. <laughs> Anybody want to know the author of that line? No? Weird Al, Yank- Weird Al Yankovic? <laughs> From Amish paradise? Think you're really righteous? Think you're prayer and heart? Well, I know I'm a million times as humble as thou art. No, really? Okay. Yeah. And I think of you as educated. <laughs> well, I don't know. It popped in my mind. But that's the kind of thing, you know. Think you're righteous? Well, heck, I'm a million times as humble as thou art. i skip a little bit here so wasting gifts now this this is interesting to me uh, and it tracks with my personal experience as a human being on this earth so the manager says okay uh, God says give an account your management you've wasted your gifts you've you've mismanaged my home and you're gonna be fired and the manager said to himself what shall I do my master is taking away my job I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg I found both those verbs really interesting to me I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg when we waste the gifts that God gives us, we become weak and we become proud. When, when we take when we take the gifts that God has given us, all the things that the, the blessings, material and spiritual and otherwise, and we don't use them properly, or we or we don't even think about them, then we become weak, and such that you're too weak to even do a simple thing like digging, and you're just you're useless. You become useless, and you also become proud. Pride, if you if you're Caught up in a world of sin, and caught up in your own narcissism, and caught up in living your life by your rules, by your desires, by your—and you don't care about you. Become a a, a proud person, and um, and narcissistic and self-centered. And and this fellow is quite honest about it. He says, "I'm I'm too proud to. Be, I'm ashamed to beg." In a way, say, "I'm too proud to beg." And and who is it that Jesus wants in His kingdom? He wants laborers and beggars. Those are the people that Jesus wants in, in His kingdom. You know, He 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 tells us, you know, that the uh, He's sending workers out into the field, but the laborers are few. You know, He wants people who are willing to to put their shoulder to the um, to the, what's plow. the plow, plow, shovel, plow or shovel. Either one's fine. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't start metaphors. I don't know the ending to. Um, but Jesus wants us to work hard. Nose to the grindstone. Th- yeah, nose to the <laughs> grindstone. I, he wants people who are willing to pour themselves out for his kingdom. Not in a sad, maudlin, slavery kind of way, but in a joyful way. Like, I'm pouring myself out because this is where joy is found. This is where peace is found and forgiveness is found. That's who Jesus, if he wants workers, joyful workers. And he wants beggars. He specifically sends out, <coughs> excuse me, when he sends out his disciples, um, you know, two by two, like ants or whatever, you know, uh, he sends them out, and he says, don't, don't take your purse, don't take... Uh, I forget what all he says. Not take sandal. Thank you. Don't take your sandal. But go out as beggars. Go out dressed like beggars and depend on people for your shelter, depend on people for your food, depending people for your, and beg in essence, and, and then give God's blessing through that. And he's teaching his disciples humility, because it's no fun to beg. It's no fun to ask for things, um, and it's it's it, it humiliates us and we hate it because our, it, it dings our pride. Um, that that was one of the things you know. God rest his soul. Uh, David Armstead taught me, and he taught me very well um, that you know David had a lot of health issues. You know, for those who don't know, David is a good friend of ours who passed away uh, not long ago, and um, he taught me. First of all, he taught me how hard it is to accept. You know, because of all his health issues, he often needed he often needed charity from other people. A variety of things. You know, in terms of helping to get medicine or a ride here or there. Um, and you know he hated it he hated it with all his soul and being and it taught me something just you know cuz I was you know we we all were friends with him and it taught me something about how hard that is for us to do and but he did get you know David was able to be gracious about that and he taught me what it meant to be a gracious receiver too and I will tell you honestly and this gets back to what I said earlier about the radicalization of faith that this is not something that I'm radical about I don't ever want to be I hate getting help from people. Um, I don't want to beg. I don't want to. I, I, ha- I, I don't even like talking about the offering box in the back of the room because I know that's you know I draw my salary from the offering boxes in the back of the room by the way. <laughs> 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 but but you, bear with me, I don't talk about a lot, right? I don't, I don't talk because it's just it's hard for me. It feels like begging. You know, it's like uh, can you please give your money because I need to eat this week and you know I don't like that and it's a difficult thing. Um, and that's pride. That's my pride. Because in truth, we all—we all, all ultimately—we be- all derive our money and our goods from each other, right? I mean, wherever your paycheck comes from, it comes from somewhere, <coughs> and it's—we're all a community together, helping and serving one another. But begging is hard because we don't want to acknowledge that every good thing I have is from God or from all of you, or anyway. So I probably made that point too long, but <coughs> a shame to beg. I can feel that it would be good for me to have to go out without my sandals and my van, my awesome ride and and have to beg, you know. And people do that. I mean, that's not a crazy thought. There are people who go, uh, you know, for, for, for uh, to follow Christ. They go into areas where they have to beg and have to, uh, and that's a beautiful thing. Where was I? Okay, so, he recognizes his uselessness. He basically just says, I'm useless. I've, I've wasted everything, you know, just like the prodigal son, he sort of he's come to the realization I, I'm, I'm at wit's end. So here's, and this is of course what makes this parable unique and not the prodigal son parable all over again. Uh, Jay, if you want to bump to the next one there. So we, we don't need to go through all this, but basically he, you know, he calls in his, debtor, the, his master's debtors, not his debtors, but his master's debtors and this is indicative of how much God feels you owe him. <laughs> that is not good news up there on, on the slide. That is indicative of how much in debt we are. How many of you have 800 or 900 gallons of olive oil to give to God? Uh, that's that's uh, I don't, um, and uh, so that's we're in, all of us all of us together are in deep trouble in terms of what we owe God in the sense that we can't in essence we can't pay it back that's a king's ransom up there we can't pay it back, and so he goes and he says look you owe God this much, and I'm going to forgive you, some portion of it some 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 bit of it I'm going to forgive you as best as I can forgive you, and there to me is a good metaphor for church so when people come in. Uh, that, what we tell them, we don't tell them we're going to forgive you like God forgives you, because only God can forgive that beautifully and that simply and that totally. But we can tell people we're going to forgive you as best as we can forgive you. We'll take your 900 gallons of olive oil and make it 450. We're going to be as gracious to you as is within my power as a broken, sinful, prideful human being. I'm going to be as gracious to you as I can be. And we all will be that together. But it's God's forgiveness that you're going to experience in full here through worship and through communion and, and through. God willing, the sermons and through the fellowship, uh, we're just a foretaste of that. If you wrong me and I forgive you, uh, then that's a foretaste of God's forgiveness. But you might wrong me in such a way that I can't fully forgive you before I die. I might want to. I mean, wanting to forgive is, is gracious and brings God's uh, blessing. But we sometimes, sometimes it just goes beyond what we as humans are capable of doing. You know, you've ever had the experience? I know you have. If you've been around long enough, where you, you're talking about something that happened to you 20 years ago or however long ago and you think you're over it and in the course of talking about it you get all wound up about it again you're like, and then he said this I totally forgave him you know, but I kind of like to clock him again um, <laughs> and you realize that even though you have in a sense you really have forgiven that person I mean because you're not holding ill will you're not wishing them but when you recognize that deep within you yeah, that's not healed that's, that's still in you and so anyway, that's, that's how I take from that, that uh, he's for, he forgives. The interesting thing to me is that when he recognized his relationship with his master was broken, the way he healed it was how he treated you all, was how he treated other people. That he said, I'm going to, I'm going to bless these people, and I'm going to make friends for myself, because this is broke. the vertical is broken, and so I'm going to focus on the horizontal, and I'm going to use the gifts that I've been given and this uh, authority that I have still as manager, to do some good for all of you, for for people, for other people. I'm going to be my brother's keeper in this instance. And the message from this parable, and you can, Jay, if you want to go to the next one, the message is that that heals the vertical. And so if you're in a place with God sometimes, uh, where or you know someone who's in a place with God, where this is just broken for whatever reason, you um, just faithlessness or maybe feel like they feel like God has hurt them in such a way has betrayed them could be any number of reasons that this is broken that one of the ways that we can say to people you know that one of the ways you can get back in touch with the heart of God is just don't worry about God for for a while (laughs) I mean don't don't mess with that for a while if that's too painful too hard for you focus on blessing your fellow human What, what gifts do you have in your purview what gifts do you have that you can hand out radically you know, and it could be as simple as going to family members and forgiving them for things that have hurt you. Uh, it could be as complex as taking a job at the Phoenix <laughs> and and w- working with the homeless, or it could be something completely um, uh, internal, uh, something that is not you wouldn't wouldn't even be able to see, but just an internal blessing. of praying for other people, well, if you're, that's not going to work, but uh, wishing the best for people you might have wished the worst for before. I I don't know. There's a whole host of things, but. I like the message of this parable in the sense that God will look down and even when this is broken and we've broken trust with God broken faith with God that I can say you know what I'll do Uh, here's this person who's suffering over here and I I have something that I can alleviate that suffering with in any regard I'm just going to go do that and and, and somehow in that God's blessing God's commendation as it says here the master commended the wise servant and God's blessing will come down through that And I've seen that happen. I've seen people who just have decided for whatever reasons that they're going to start blessing other people in a more radical fashion and that draws them closer to God. Even if that wasn't their intention. Even if that wasn't their hope, even. But it does that. Because that's where God's heart is with with people who are suffering or who need help and assistance, etc. We can heal our relationship with Christ by giving grace to other human beings. Because that's what That's what. That's who Christ is. Christ gives grace to other human beings, and I, I especially like and I'll end with this. I especially like that there's this sense that what he's giving people is just um, God God's grace, God's or er, he's pulling from God's goodness and God. That's all God's stuff, right? The olive oil and the wheat and all that. That's all owed to God, and he's saying he's spending God's stuff in order to bless other people. And then God says that's how you do it. So in other words. We can't overspend or overgrace God. We can't exhaust the potential of, of the gifts that he gives to us. The more of his gifts that we receive, that we give out, the more in turn we'll be blessed. We'll, we'll retain our job as stewards, as it were. You know, we'll retain our position. We can't outdo that because we can't give anything of our own. I could give away my awesome ride of a van. I could give away my house. I could give away all my clothes. I could be staying here naked with nothing to call my own. You don't have to envision that. but, <laughs> And I would still... I would not have given away any one thing of my own. I would have given nothing of my own. All that stuff would have been blessings from God. Um, it, it wouldn't. It's not from my hand. It's just you know the breath in my lungs is there because of God's will, and so I can't I can't actually give people things of my own, but I can be a conduit for God's grace and mercy to other people. That's 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 the grace we receive from God. To the, the gifts we give to to be. That's why you have gifts to bless other people, uh, for no other reason than that. So finally, I'll just uh, uh, go on to the final uh, Jay, if you can bump me forward there a slide. Um, Let's let's go to the the last slide. (coughs) No one can serve two masters. You either hate one, love the other, devoted to the one, and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And there it is in black and white as directly there's, there's all kinds of spiritual implications in this parable that I've tried to draw out a few of them but there is just one very practical thing that should hit us all very hard. You can't love God and money. You can't do it. You can't love your things and love God. You can't love God and money. And there are some churches, this one included, where there are people, myself included, where maybe we got caught up in our things and got caught up in what we have and more sad, more tragically, caught up in what we don't have and reaching for that and loving God, or loving money, rather, more than we love God. Loving our things more than we love God. And what damage we do to the kingdom. And And I see this all the time. I mean, my gosh, I mean, how many people have been turned away from Jesus because they'll look at a Christian or they'll look at a church or they'll look at somebody and say, these people seem to really love money. These people seem to be really enamored with the things that they have. And they say, well, God obviously isn't Real or there, there is no God. If this is if this is God's representatives, I want no part of it. We got to be very careful about this. Living in the richest nation of the world, I have to be very careful about this, to not love money and to not love the things that I have, or to think that that's where my security is in any regard, in any fashion. Um, so, I don't think we can say that enough as Christians. We certainly can't live it enough <laughs> as Christians. And I know it's hard. I mean, I, it's. Um, and the more money you have, the harder it is. And that's, just, and that's why Jesus warns us against wealth. There's nothing intrinsically evil about wealth. It's just that the more tempting it becomes to make that your idol, the more you have of it. There are very wealthy people who I believe, uh, who I know personally, peop- people have more, much more wealth than I do, who are very devout Christians. And truly so. And have not made an idol out of their money. But I feel like I know a lot more people who have a lot of money who have fallen into that trap. So let's end with that. Let's pray and go to communion. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much uh, for the good news uh, in, in these parables that we're, we're going through. I thank you for your immense grace for each of us. And Lord, I, I pray that you would teach us. Uh, just like the, the wise manager here. Teach us how to take people's burdens, how to take their, their debts, the things that are crushing them, and how teach us how to help them lessen that bill, how to alleviate that burden, how to make that debt less. Uh, Lord, pray that we would be carriers of your forgiveness, that the words we speak to our fellow Christians or to non-believers would be words of grace, words of mercy, and not condemnation. Lord, give us hearts of joy. Make us a people who love easily, laugh easily, forgive easily, and lead lives without blemish. Meet us now at your table, Lord. In your name, amen.